0: mean I did it for 20 years Mm -hmm. you know at first I didn't know what mental health was you know I was living with OCD anxiety depression all Mm -hmm. of those things I didn't know what it was because we never talked about it growing up um you know playing footy we'd often talk we'd we'd joke about hurting ourselves you know our bodies and all that and we'd go see a physio or doctor get help but no one ever mentioned you know you know have you seen your psychologist or a counselor or what's Mm -hmm. going on at home what's going on at work what's going on at school Um, and a lot of guys still struggle with that i mean and you know to the point where they don't talk about things they get angry you know we've got high, high rates of guys who are perpetrators of domestic violence for example in australia
1: Welcome, everyone. This is the rising father podcast i'm Chris Rodak. I have Simon Rennie with me. um we connected over Instagram. He's doing awesome work in the men's space um and we're gonna jump right to it so Simon, why are
0: men so anxious nowadays? Well, that's a big question <laughs> big question um thanks firstly for having me on the show actually man. Yeah. like it's really cool to to connect across the globe, but why are men so anxious? I think we put too much pressure on ourselves. To put it down, to put it pretty bluntly. Um, we try to be perfect. Um, dads particularly, so I'm a dad, so mm-hmm. every day I'm trying to be this perfect dad and father figure and and um and mentor for my kids, and I don't get it right every day. Um, and that makes me anxious. Um, my background is one based in mental health as well. So so I live with OCD and generalized generalized anxiety as it is. Um, so I'm prone to anxiety, um, but I think more broadly, yeah, men struggle because we try to be perfect.
1: So you have OCD. Yeah. Now that's, I'm not in the mental health space. I'm a teacher, but um, you're much more specialized. What What specifically um, did you do? I think you had a, you know, I, I was scrolling your Instagram, saw that you resigned from your previous position.
0: And so what is what your background? My background, so I've I've written, yeah, so OCD started for me when I was eight, Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what OCD is, it's obsessive compulsive disorder. So obsessive or an obsession comes into your brain or your mind, and you can't stop thinking about it. And in order to alleviate the anxiety that comes from that kind of thought, you perform a compulsion, so a a behaviour or an act. Um, So the very first OCD for me was I was in the schoolyard. I was about eight years old. I'm 39 now, and another student told me that if I didn't talk for more than a minute, I'd lose my voice forever. Now, as a, most people would just go, "Oh yeah, whatever," that's just bullshit. Uh, but me, as an eight-year-old, I really took that on board, and I thought that was the gospel. And so, so I would start humming every day for about a year and a half, and it was a, a small hum, like a. Mm. Kind of sound mm-hmm. and I try to do it so it was so quiet that nobody would um would hear that um but over over the years OCD for me has has evolved into different things like checking behaviors around personal safety and safety for my family and I still do it today as a thirty nine year old but going back to your question around i've recently left my career um i've recently started up a dedicated men's mental health therapy business. Um, to support other men like me um, mm-hmm. to open up and, and get help. Um, and I think that's particularly important because I bottled things up for about 20 years before I finally said, I think I've got some mental health issues and I need to go speak to someone. And and I actually thank my wife for that because if she didn't push me to go do that, I probably would have never got help. And I probably wouldn't be a father today because we would have probably you know walked out different ways. So Wow. How old are your kids? Uh, I've got a 5 year old boy Gus and a 2 year old girl Pippa so we're in the midst of Gus started started prep this year and Pippa's still in the childcare um system as well so yeah we go between yeah. sickness and tiredness every single day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh I remember that. My kids are 8 and 6. Um you know it's such a big change whenever they just grow up a little bit. You know, yeah. obviously, newborn is one thing. and It's just you're responsible for every single aspect of their life. And then, you know, you have to hold them 24 seven or else they could die. And then once yeah. they get to toddlers and they can walk places and they're sticking their fingers in outlets and sharp object, objects and falling <laughs> downstairs. And then now my son is like 80 pounds. He's been doing jujitsu and martial arts for four years and he can like kill someone if he's playing. So it's a whole different thing. And, <laughs> You know, Lauren, my daughter, she's six, and she's just you know beautiful, cute. She trusts everyone, so you know she, she'll go up to a complete total stranger and you know get on her, their back and do a piggyback ride. So it's whole another set of issues. But yeah, <laughs> five and two—that's crazy. Those are crazy times, and like you know, every year that comes is going to
0: be crazy. Um, yeah, we're we're doing a bit of Pokemon Go at the moment with my son Gus on the way to to school, so I'm trying to teach him. To navigate, looking at his phone and crossing the road at the same time—it's <laughs> a bit of a challenge. Yeah, um, but first-world problems, I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I've never played Pokemon Go. I know that was a—it was like a huge fad like a year ago. People are still doing that, but my son is super into Pokemon cards. Yes, he's yes. obsessed with it. And then, um, I, I even I did Pokemon cards whenever I was his age. I remember we had binders of like laminated Pokemon cards. And yeah. This, this one time, my friend who lived up the street, he gave me his, They were we called them shiny foil Pokemon cards. It was like some, you know, stupid rare Pokemon. And I took it home and then he showed up at my front door, knocked on the door. I looked at He it was him. And he talked to my mom and he said, can I have that Pokemon card back? And I was like, no, you can't have it back. And then my mom <laughs> made me give it to him. And I remember crying in my house because I had to give this kid this Pokemon card back. I was so emotional about it. But, yeah, my my son loves Pokemon cards, um, but that's crazy, playing Pokemon Go. I don't even want to introduce that to him. That'd be a whole
0: other year of my life. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, aside from that, Mike Gussier loves to watch YouTube and watches videos of people opening Pokemon card packets. (laughs) (laughs) If I had only known, that's all I had to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Why couldn't someone have told me that ten years ago? All you had to do is open stuff up on YouTube. You'd be a millionaire by now. Oh yeah. I'm I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> you never know. Why not? <laughs> Probably get more hits than my channel does. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but back to the anxiety that guys have. Um I did I did my last podcast I did. It was all about how I deal with anxiety. Um and how the strategies that i do to cool down stay focused and some of the things i talked about that i just from thinking about my own thoughts and thinking about what works for me have been like journaling was a huge one for me um just really good for me to organize my thoughts and see everything down on paper do you do
0: any journaling do you have your clients do that anything like that yeah i've got a few different strategies so i've dabbled in journaling a little bit over the time on my own journey but also with clients as well but what I found is because my, my platform was all about it's called Mindful Men and so all about bringing the mindfulness into our everyday life and but I always struggled to find out what I was mindful of and, and what I was grateful for so um, I actually got a really cool tip from my psychologist recently saying that when, you re- when, we, when we start doing gratitude journaling, for example, and, and we start writing, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for my family, I'm grateful for health, I'm grateful for having a house. But these are real big ticket items. But what he said, to, what you start doing is you start repeating those every second day or third day and then it, you kind of lose, I guess, the connection with the whole process. Hmm. But what he, what he told me was to break our, our journaling day into hourly slots and just write down what you did in that time so it could be, seven to eight getting the kids ready for school and off to school the next one nine to ten could be a a cup of coffee and and a meeting with a client or whatever and and so on and all the way through the day and what you can do there is find those little moments of everyday life that you're grateful for like that cup of coffee i love coffee so having that cup of coffee in the morning gets me perky um i love the taste i love the smell starts to make me feel good and if you can find little bits bits of that it could be um you know Picking up your son from school and playing Pokemon Go on the walk home from school. Something, something really basic like that. An everyday thing. And that keeps you going. And it, and Because it, every day is different. You can find so many things that you're grateful for in that day. So I really like that strategy. And I've been using that uh, more often than, than the old school. Just writing down three things that I want to achieve that day mm. or, or whatever. Yeah. But with my clients as well, I, I love this, this concept. It's called the morning pages. And it's it's really good for people who are looking to be creative, um, or people that have thoughts that just go through your head like a million miles an hour. And it often happens when you first wake up in the day and you feel like you can never get ahead of your day because your mm-hmm. brain is just in overdrive. So what you do is is you get a, a, a notebook and the idea is you're meant to handwrite three pages of thoughts as they come into your mind and they don't, and you're not meant to make any sense of it. You're not meant to correct the grammar or anything. It's like, it could be, I saw a bus, red, blue, one, six, nine, just the thoughts as they are. And you do that for three pages. I never got to three pages cause my hand would cramp up. So I don't mm-hmm. need to ever do one page myself, but by doing this and then you don't read it, you just close it. And you do this every day when you first get up, You grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or your brekkie or whatever. And you do it first thing in the morning. And it just downloads all these thoughts in your mind onto a paper. You can close it and then you can just get on with your day. You can be creative. You can, you're clearer in your mind, in your, in your mindset for work or family life or whatever. And that's a really, really cool thing. It takes a bit of practice to get used to because you're writing so much. Um, but it does certainly help, you know, clear space in your brain and also, you know, decrease the anxiety when you wake up. And because you're not trying to battle your thoughts at the same time. That's kind of the method that I do when I, when I do the journaling, I don't, I don't have
1: a structured thing for me. It's, it's exactly what you said, you know, you nailed, you nailed it. It was just, if all these thoughts racing through my head, I need to get them down on paper. And for me, I feel like when I get them down on paper, if I can see them, then it makes a lot more sense to me. than they're not rattling around my head anymore.
0: Yeah. You know, cause I, I can words. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. Like I've got fragments of sentences that don't make any sense. But then, when I put those fragments into sentences, when I take the time to do that, then for whatever reason, they kind of go away, or I can revisit them later.
0: Yeah, and there's some cool t- tips that you can use. Like I, I've talked to clients before about the idea of the morning pages. You just put it on in in the cupboard. You don't look at it again, and you keep. You, you end up having uh, volumes and volumes of these notebooks. But for other people who, where thoughts have so much power over them and in and, and their behavior and, and their day-to-day life, it's a real cool trip trick to maybe rip out the page from the notebook and mindfully scrunch it up as hard as you can mm. and throw it against the wall. Or some people you know, put it in a shredder, other people burn them, you know, mm. and, they, and it helps to, you know, the thoughts then become just words on paper and then they become destroyed and you're mindfully doing that process and taking control back over your life, so... Have you found that with the guys that you're working
1: with, there's something specific that runs a common theme through all of them? Like this thing culturally, or you've just noticed a pattern with the guys you're working with or that you see on social media that, Hey, man, this, this thing's really bugging a lot of
0: guys. Um, I think identity is one that comes to mind is who are we in 2022 as men in, mm-hmm. in today's culture or society. I mean, I'm in Australia, so and, and you're in the US, that's right. And um, you know, our cultures are very similar, but our cultures compared to you know the Middle East or, or age is also very different as well. And and I think identity comes to it. And you know, I've lived in about four different Australian states, mm-hmm. and over the years, French. Like I, I remember listening to one of your episodes around friendships, and for me, I've lost a lot of my friendships because we've moved so much and we live in a very transient lifestyle. Mm-hmm. 2022 a lot of people do fly and fly out work in australia um or now with covid everyone's uh, working remotely from home and you might not necessarily live in the city that you work and and so forth so trying to figure out who we are and and our connections to to our friends and our community is is tricky um you know i've had dads that come in who don't really connect with their kids um or their partner not really sure where they stand in the family unit um, you know, I often talk about on my on my podcast and my platform is this battle between what what is masculinity in in 2022, mm. um, and I compare that to me growing up playing playing footy and and the boys don't cry, Mantra, and then you know trying to to navigate you know why isn't it okay for men to talk about mental health, um, and it comes a lot from that social conditioning when we we're a bit younger, particularly in the 90s and 80s and and so forth, that you know, men are meant to be hard and boys are meant to be hard, and to be a man you're meant to bottle everything up. So um it's challenging that kind of stuff today. That it is okay for for guys to 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 cry and to talk about mental health. It doesn't make you less of a man to do that. Um, it just means that you're probably more in tune with with what's going on inside and you can get the help if you need it.
1: Do you feel like a lot of guys nowadays do have that issue where they're they're still held back by that um, feeling that, or old mindset, that they have to bottle everything up.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, definitely. I mean, I did it for twenty years. Mm-hmm. You know, I, at first, I didn't know what mental health was. You know, yeah. I was living with OCD, anxiety, depression, all of mm-hmm. those things. I didn't know what it was because we never talked about it growing up. Um, you know, playing footy, we, we'd often talk, we'd, we'd joke about hurting ourselves, you know, our bodies and all that. And we'd go see a physio or a doctor get help, but no one ever mentioned, you know, you know have you seen your psychologist or a counsellor or what's mm-hmm. going on at home, what's going on at work, what's going on at school. Um, and a lot of guys still struggle with that. I mean, and, you know, to the point where they don't talk about things, they get angry, you know, we've got high, high rates of guys who are perpetrators of domestic violence, for example, in Australia um men are more likely to commit suicide compared to women um I did a great episode on my show with a a, a coach in the trades um a, a carpenter and 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 young carpenters uh, or young tradies should I say are 2.3 more times more likely in Australia to commit suicide um and it all comes down to bottling things up and not talking about things and it, and I think there's a lot of shame and stigma associated with talking about things. I mean, I didn't go and see help because I didn't want to be on medication. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that held me back for years before I got help. And then when I finally, you know, said, I've got to change, things have to change. And now medication is just a, an everyday part of my life. And, and it was, it's fine. Like the, it actually levels me out and makes me, a, a, I think, a a more in tune dad and and person and husband and so forth. So so yeah, I think there's a lot of guys still living under that old bottle things up because that's how you, how you be a man.
1: Yeah, that's tough. It depends on, like you said, where you are in the world. I was talking to another Australian two days ago, almost had scheduling issues. <laughs> I, think <I've, laughs> I think I've got it figured out maybe. <laughs> um, but he was saying, he was telling me about how he's a coach also, but he deals with a lot of men in Australia who have drinking problems. Mm. And he noticed, he observed that that was a cultural thing in Australia on, in Australia that a lot of the guys have, um, I guess it's kind of celebrated to drink. He was giving me an an example of the local football team. I guess they're all celebrities and every Monday they all go out to the bar and get smashed and it's all over TV. And I was telling him, yeah, that nothing like that happens over, at least where I am like it's that kind of thing is yeah. definitely not celebrated. And if that was celebrated, yeah, we'd have 10 times the amount of kids drinking.
0: Yeah. Now it on the head, and actually you, you picked out one of my next few episodes in my podcast mm-hmm. is, is men's drinking culture. And I often reflect on my drinking. So, so in Australia, like, you know, we can drink from 18 legally, mm-hmm. um, but often, you know, young guys would start around 16 and, and having parties and, and so forth. And, and getting drunk and and that's that's fun here and, that, and that's what people do and but then it becomes kind of enshrined in us that you know to to be a man it means drinking and 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 getting on you know whatever it is beer uh you know scotch whatever mm-hmm. um and for many years i would use drinking to to numb my thoughts and and mm-hmm. you know my anxiety and my ocd i'd get to the end of the night if i've had a rough day i'd be A few beers and then everything just kind of levels out. That self-medication, but what that does, it just it continues a cycle of a getting into drinking and Mm -hmm. drinking too much, because all of a sudden you know two beers aren't doing it, so you then you got to do three or four beers, and and then drinking becomes a bit of a social thing as well. So Mm. to to be social, you need to drink and you know get that courage up to go and talk to people, and and yeah, certainly ingrained in our culture, and and we see it in our sporting organizations, the the sponsorship, all of our footy teams have got some sort of alcohol or betting or, or anything like that, you know, emblazoned on the jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a bit of a problem here in Australia. Why do you think that is? Like we have obviously at sporting Adventures a lot of drinking
1: and there's, you know, Miller Lite, Bud Light, Giggling, all these beer brands, but it's not really, I don't think it's celebrated. Like you would never see an article or a news story about, you know, your local football team going to the bar and getting smashed. <laughs> like you bear, I think it's, it might be outlawed in the U S for there someone to even be smoking a cigarette on TV anymore. So it's, it's a very conservative kind of monitoring of media that happens um, even more so every single year. What do you, what do you think it is in the Australian society or culture that
0: makes drinking so prevalent? Um, I think it's it's just an it's it's ingrained in us and it has been for decades. Um it's v we're still it's like we're almost stuck in an eighties mindset and a nineties mindset mm. with our drinking. Um, you know, we've got you know, cricket's big over here, the game cricket, and everyone always knows the story of there was a eighties and nineties player, David Boone, who smashed I don't know how many beers between here and and a, a plane ride to England. I think it was over like it was probably like fifty beers. I mean <laughs> I don't know the number exactly, but it was a huge amount. And and it's just celebrated. And like we had one of our prime ministers who back in the eighties, Bob Hawke, he's famous for for chugging a beer on TV. And and even our, our current prime minister did it a couple of weeks ago, which is mm-hmm. interesting um because there was a news article about the Finnish prime minister, a young, she's a younger woman who's I think the youngest Finnish prime minister who was caught on camera partying with her friends and everyone's looking down on that saying you shouldn't be doing that. But here in Australia, when our our current prime minister is necking a beer at a concert or whatever, everyone's like, yeah, good on him. Um, I really don't know. I think we're just stuck in the times. Um, and it is so ingrained in our culture about who we are as people. Mm. That I think it's this laid back, you know, kind of larrikin type thing um, that that goes through the media like movies and tv shows and mm-hmm. it's just stuck and and a lot of guys struggle with it you know even me like um sometimes i want to go to networking events for for social work but they're often at a pub and i know yep. i struggle like i can't i struggle with having one beer so it's for me it's all or nothing i mm. i'd go to an event and i'm either not drinking because i'm driving uh but if i have one i don't like to get behind the wheel of a car so um, it's a, sometimes I just avoid those kind of events altogether because it's just too much of a conundrum and, and a lot of guys feel the same. Networking events are the worst. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've done,
1: I did plenty of those three or four years ago. We have an ad agency and I would, when I first started, I know it was probably like five or six years ago. I got our first clients going to networking events and
0: man, that was hell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You've got one coming up actually. And I'm, I'm, I'm dreading it. (laughs) Uh,
1: The awkward conversations. And then the worst is the lies people tell about why they're at networking events. You know, I'm just here to network. I'm just here to make friends. It's like, cut the bullshit, man. (laughs) We're all here for the same reason. We just want clients. Whoever has the best pitch might get someone. And amazingly, I was able to get some clients when it's weird because it's weird because you're at this place where there's like 20, 30 people and every single person is there because they want to find a client. So you're just, everyone knows it. You know, you're just talking to each other, hoping that you could sell the person. Yeah. And I remember this one time, this old lady was all dressed crazy and she was, we did this like small group thing where everyone was at a booth and it was almost like dating and like they rang a bell and you'd go and like give your pitch to people it was really horrible. And this lady, her thing, her niche was witchcraft. So she was like a, a Wiccan coach. And I remember just sitting there being like, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is not the way to get clients. <laughs> this is not going to work. I mean, hopefully yours are different, but mine, I've been to plenty where, you know, you go to the basement of this bar and there's like three people and you just awkwardly walk around, sit by someone at the bar and, oh God, it's the worst it's good for building up social skills and confidence and talking to complete strangers, you know, that. So, mm. but uh, it was the worst.
0: Well, this one's not too bad. Cause I'm the guest speaker. So oh, there um, you go. I, that's better. I put the feelers out yesterday, actually. And, she, and she, I got a call today saying, yeah, we'd love to have you come and have a chat and, and have dinner with us. So.
1: <laughs> well, that sounds better than what I
0: was doing. <laughs> I think the Australian
1: networking events are better than mine.
0: <laughs> good for you.
1: Um. Yeah. Well, let's go back to friends because we were talking about. Um. You know. I did an episode on importance of friends, and I did that episode because I think it's a a travesty. I think it's a disaster in mental health and for just for the for the world that so many people, women too, but I'm focusing on guys, don't have any friends. Mm. And when I pull my community, you know, I have a, I have a large Facebook group. Um. Where I, I occasionally will do polls, you know. How many of us have friends? It's always ninety-five percent of them or more don't have a single friend. And then what bothers me more is the justifications for it. You know, it'll be I don't have a friend, but I don't have a friend because my kids come first. Mm. And that doesn't make it. That doesn't ring true. That doesn't make any sense. Those dots don't connect. Um, you know, that's you know, because you have a kid, you can't have a friend. Like that. That line of thinking is. To me, so bad. Because for me, I need to have friends. Like I I go golf golfing every Wednesday night with a league of like 80 guys. And even if I'm behind on some business stuff, I will put it down and go golfing. Because I know that after I do that and after I hang out with my friends, I laugh, I have a good time, I'm going to be such a better husband and father. Because Mm. I'm going to be relaxed. Like if there's something business-wise that was bothering me, like, hey, this guy didn't get back to me or I didn't, I didn't check this off my list. After I go just hang out, you know, your friends poke, poke fun of you. They, they make you relax. That stuff just doesn't matter. And then I'm more relaxed. I'm more creative and then I'm better at business. So it, by taking a break from it and relaxing, I kind of improve all these aspects of my life. Hmm. How, how, what do you feel like in, you know, with the guys you're working with in your area of the world, Like, is it it similar? Because I I really, to me, that's a big problem that,
0: you know, so many guys don't have friends. Are you finding that to be true? Yeah, particularly, you know, as I said, we've we've moved around a lot. So, our you know, traditionally, think about, you know, 20 years ago, we'd often grow up and and live and work in the same place we grew up in. And and now we have such a, a culture, particularly here. I know so many people on where I live on the Sunshine Coast that aren't from Queensland. And I'm not from Queensland either. And we've all moved around trying to find greener pastures, and 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 then when you have kids, and particularly, and you, and you'd probably know from from young kids, and you go through that sickness tiredness modality for the first four or five years, and and then it starts to get get better, and and life does become a bit of a, a autopilot a groundhog day. You know, you get up, you've you've probably been up all night. You get up, go to work, come home, go through the bedtime routine, the witching hours that we call it. And a lot of guys, myself included, just everything else just drops away, and and your friends become the guys that just come to the kids' birthday parties or, mm. or whatever. Like could be like your your partner's friends, husbands, or, or you know, and that becomes your social network. But as you said, it's really important, and I love listening to this episode that you did on friendship because at the, that morning I was um, doing fixing out my business cards because I bought a whole bunch of business cards and <laughs> and then got a business phone and realized that I had the wrong phone number on it. So oh, then we had to get the old label maker out. And and my little son Gussie was helping me do that that morning. He was really keen. He loves what I'm doing with the business and and we were listening to your to your episode and and he goes, Daddy, what is he talking about? I said, Oh, we were talking about the the importance of looking after your friendships and and and, and, and having lots of different friends And because mm. Gussie he struggles with that. Just having one friend mm-hmm. at, at the moment, and yep. we're trying to tell him, you know, you, you, there's lots of kids in your school that you can go and go and play with, and it's important to, to branch out because when you mate, you know, you've had a grumpy day with your mate, you know, there could be other people that you can play with as well. And, and it was yep. a great, and it, it reminded me that I've got to do more work here myself, and mm. and and branch out because I've got into that modality, that mindset of, you know, yeah, I've moved around a lot since high school, and I don't live in you when know, where I grew up. Um, and I haven't probably invested as much energy into friendships than I have just family life. So it was a really, um, a good episode for me to wake up as well. But even with the guys that I work with, it's all very similar, you know, moving around Mm -hmm. for work or just, just investing time in the kids being too tired. But I think there's, there's more to it than that. It could be things like what we're eating, our diets, how are they looking? Are we drinking too much in, in our culture? Are we too lethargic? are we where's our priorities at you know and and what are our values these things like priorities and values are stuff that i work on with a lot of guys because they don't know what their values are Mm. they don't know what makes them tick um and what gives them energy um or what they're mindful of and stuff so forth so i do a lot of work in that space to try and help guys reconnect with their own identity of themselves and and also where they can branch out and and start socializing more because as you said friendships are really important for that for that mindset our our general well-being but also that sense of community because you know we are you know social people um and I think this this networking event that I'm going to I would have I would have avoided that like the play um, but this is a step for me personally to go, yep, I need to get out there and put myself out there. Mm-hmm. Who knows I might meet my next my next best friend there. I don't know. Yeah. Um for sure. We'll give it a go. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for me that's um I do jujitsu, I post about it a lot because that's for me that's like therapy. You know, I, I went uh, I was able to go twice today, which was amazing. Um, but you know, I'm you're anxious beforehand. Someone's choking you out and you're sweating. Then you're not anxious afterwards. It's just, but besides that, that's a whole different thing. Um, So many of my new good friends I've met at jujitsu, you know, there, and same thing, my son, um, his best friends, he met at the jujitsu gym and he goes through the same thing that you're talking about. Having one friend, Nathan had the same problem. He probably still does, but he'll get really close to one kid. That kid will be his best friend. And then any other kid that tries to talk to the other friend, you know, it's like, we're going to brawl because that's my best friend. Mm. Yeah. So we, we have, we've had many conversations about, Hey, it's more fun to have more friends. Like if I told him, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I had best, I had best friends. I had three or four people that I was really close to that. We all hung out together and I had this group of friends and I had another group of friends, you know, I was in band had my band friends, I would play basketball, I had my basketball friends, I had people that weren't in anything, I had those friends. It's more fun to have more people. And he's he's starting to grasp it now, but there was like a uh a period of time a couple years ago where if any other kid tried to talk to
0: his best friend, it was like, we're fighting. Yeah. That's, and that's what we're getting with Gus as well, you know. Yeah. Um, like even trying it down to birthday parties, he's got invited to three birthday parties on the same day. So now we now we're going. <laughs> Oh which ones do which and there's two at the same time at 10 o'clock and and we said to him mate, which one are you going to go to this is your decision you know it could be the one that you've got your your, your only or your main best friend but then you've also got this other guy who wants to be your friend as well and how are you're going to navigate that and how are you going to talk about that in a schoolyard as well it's something mm-hmm. that I'm trying to help him through as well but yeah
1: i found that you know even with my own friends it's not it's not always a 50-50 give and take. You know, if I if I had, after high school and college, let us naturally find each other and contact each other, we'd be contacting each other, you know, once or twice a year. Mm. But, and I remember one, we had, I grew up Catholic and we had to do, before I got married, we had to do marriage counseling. You know, before you get married, It's it's like a Catholic thing. Like you have to go and mm-hmm. this mentor couple mentors you, then you're allowed to get married. But one thing they said did stick with me, and it was, when you're in a relationship, don't expect it to be 50,50. You know there's going to be times when you're giving 80 and they're giving 20. You know it's going to happen. So if you're always expecting it to be 50,50, you're going to be frustrated and disappointed a lot. And mm-hmm. I've taken that to also be my friends. like there's a lot of times when no one's messaging, no one's texting, no one's calling, and I'm the only one doing it. Because I know if I don't do it, they're going to drift away because most of the, you know, my relatives, other people, other men I know just say, yeah, I don't have any friends anymore. I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 50. I don't have any friends. Mm -hmm. It just happens. Like, no, it doesn't just happen. You let it happen. It's so important. Like, and other times, maybe I'm the one who's busy and they're going to be the ones doing most of the messaging and calling and and organizing events. And that's going to happen. But you have to really be, for me, I, I gotta be really intentional about making sure that, Hey, these people are important. I'm not going to let them just slip out of my life because, you know, it's just, it's one missed call. And then it's, you don't talk to them for a month. And then half a year goes by and it's like, Oh, what happened? It's like, well, yeah, now you're different people. Yeah. You know,
0: and a lot of the stuff that I work with, with guys in that value space as well. One of the values that comes up a lot is connection and, and, and socialization. So, even though they might have drifted from their mates, these are the things that are driving us. So, these are the things I am then helping them push back into their lives and say, "Well, you've got to come that twenty percent, or that thirty percent, or that fifty percent," um, because you are telling me that these are your values, and you've just let it slide. So, let's mm-hmm. reconnect with those values and and connect with those social things. And it's, it's same like like one of my best mates. He lives in a different state, so. One of the great things about Zoom and, and modern technology is we have a beer over Zoom um, or a coffee over Zoom, depending on what time of day it is, and, and catch up that way. And, and, you know, it's it's nice to be there physically, but when you can't, sometimes things like a Zoom call is, is really good and, and better than a text or or, sure. or or a phone call sometimes as well.
1: Yeah, we did that at the start of, um, you know, the pandemic. We had a couple of, I think there was an app called House Party. And we Mm. would do that or we would we would Zoom or something not as good as being in person, but better than a text message. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can you talk talk to me about your coaching business a little bit? So what does it look like? You know, if there's a guy who wants to reach out to you, they're thinking, hey, what this guy's saying really makes sense for me. Like, what's what's your program going to look like for a guy?
0: yeah so it's actually a counseling business as opposed to coaching so okay um so i'm a social worker um and working towards my accredited uh, my mental health accreditation in a couple of years as well but essentially it's just like going to therapy but i don't like to call it therapy i, I sometimes call it coaching because some guys think that therapy or counseling is, is a bit of a shame or a stigma associated with that and it's a lot of it's just talking about what's going on and and, and connecting with our values we i, I like it values-based work because it's mm. it's really insightful it, it, it gets the focus inwards as well as opposed to outwards um and a lot i bring a lot of mindfulness as well so mindful men is part coming from my own story of mental illness so i use a lot of mindfulness techniques to ground myself and be less anxious and be more present with my kids for example um mm-hmm. I, my mind would often wander and and i wouldn't be there with my kids so mindfulness-based practice helps me to to come back to to where my feet are um but if it's not talking that that guys are are interested in i'm always happy to to go for a walk with them or you know do a little bit of a a pseudo workout or have a coffee with them at a a cafe or whatever and the whole concept is just getting them talking about things and you know i share my story on mindful men um quite openly because i believe that by me sharing my story, it just promotes that we can talk about mental health issues mm-hmm. openly in the open environment. Um, so guys that might be thinking about working with me, but they're not sure, I really recommend and jump onto my socials or the podcast and just hear some of what I I talk about both by myself, but also with guests across the, across the world. Cause you know, we get mindful about more than just um, you know, mental health. It's about fatherhood, about identity, parenting in general, um, being, you know, seeing the world through our kids' eyes. One of my episodes is with Gus and we talk about, you know, things about going to the zoo and all that type of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got one coming up on finances and and and, and investing in the stock market. And so all these things impact us and, and our well-being. So, but some guys just struggle to, to talk about it. So I'm kind of like that paid friend. If, if you haven't got someone that you can talk to, um, you can call me up and we can do a telehealth over the Zoom or or I can come meet you in person if you're local. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. So it's like a weekly call, something like that? Yeah, it could be. It could be a weekly, a fortnightly, a monthly, whatever the client needs, really. Yeah. Um, so I do that privately, but I've also worked in the disability space as well. So we have over here the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which is a scheme that people who live with disability can access government funding for, for therapy or, or for capacity-building support. So I can... Mm. Help people out there, particularly with psychosocial disability. So like things like schizophrenia, PTSD, uh, you know, bipolar, um, those types of things. I can certainly help them navigate the world of mental health from a disability perspective Um, and also work cover. So if you get injured at work, both psychologically or physically, um, I can do some adjustment counselling there as well, just to help you help clients navigate through that um but it is a dedicated men's service so it is mm-hmm. it's mindful men for a reason because i want men to be okay to come to a service yep um there's a lot out there for women there's a lot out there for kids not so much out not as many out there for men um so yeah i'm just trying to help i guess promote men's health and well-being through my practice i think it's super needed there's such
1: a like you said I don't know' you know stigma for some guys, but there's a lot of preconceived notions where that wraps up into the identity issues you were talking about, and guys have to decide you know, can I still be a strong masculine leader of my family and get help from someone
0: you know yeah. that's
1: it can be an identity crisis that could be a a really hard question that for them you know they think, well, if I'm a strong leader of this family, or of this business, or whatever, then I don't need to get help. You know, then I don't need to to talk to someone. And that's probably a hurdle a lot of guys have
0: to has to have to push through. Yeah, I mean, I did that as well. It took me a long, you know, those were hurdles for me to to open up. Um, and it got to a point where the pain of I love this quote from Tony Robbins. It's the, it's change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And for me, the moment yeah. was it was too painful to stay the same. So I needed to change. I knew I needed to change. And it was just a matter of opening up and saying the words the first time to my doctor saying, I think I have mental health issues, but the hardest things to say It's actually 10 years this year that it was since I first opened up about mental health issues. And now it's it's easy when I'm struggling, I'll go see my doctor, I'll go see a psychologist or a a social worker or a counselor Mm -hmm. or, or a coach, you know, I'm starting to to look in different, different coaches um, because I like what you said before in terms of you go to jujitsu for therapy. That's kind of like your therapy. Therapy can look different for different people. So some people it's counseling or psychology, other people it's medications, other people it's sport, getting outside, uh, meditation. There's all sorts of range of things you can do as your own personal therapy not so much the self-medication like drinking like you know that many of us guys do and or taking drugs or whatever um you know there's there's breath work i I did a I recently did a breath work class and i had amazing results from that i felt so much better afterwards i've never thought i'd do anything like that Mm -hmm. um i did men's yoga for a while and i never thought i'd do men's yoga but I found it was really relaxing, and you know, and also helped me loosen up the the stiff wooden body that I've got. <laughs> so, um, there is different things for different people, and I'm just one service that people could could access. So,
1: yoga is amazing. I I wish I still did that. I did that. Oh, probably ten years ago, unfortunately. But I was doing it religiously for a year. Got very flexible, and I did. There's this beach body workout called P90X, and it was super successful, but I did it, um, Mm. throughout entire year, lost a lot of weight, got in really good shape. It's really intense, great workout, but they have this hour and a half long yoga workout once a week. And I never felt better than after I did the yoga workouts. I always hated it. I always dreaded doing it because you're just stuck in these impossible positions and, it's so painful and you're sweating and it's just your, it's your thoughts and pain for like 40 minutes straight and then you get the stretch. So I always dreaded doing it, but once I was done, I just felt so good. I felt on top of the world. And
0: that's, that's yeah. one of those things where I just wish I wouldn't have quit doing it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I used to go there the same. My mind would be racing and I was, and it was, it was a, it was a A men's yoga so we weren't exactly flexible we were all (laughs) pretty inflexible actually but i'd I'd usually get about three quarters of a way through and then the penny would drop and my my mind would slow down and i'd be in the moment and i'd walk out feeling great you know a bit more flexible and and my mind was at ease so something that me too i you know i haven't been doing it lately so but it's something i'm keen to get back into um sooner rather than later
1: yeah the views aren't
0: as good at the men's yoga class What's that, sorry? So the views aren't as good at the men's yoga ah, class. Yes, definitely. And you get a few, um, you know, there's a few gassy guys in my, in oh, my class as well. I bet. There's a, there's a few gassy
1: guys at the jujitsu gym also. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Um, can I talk to you about your decision to quit your job and start your own business? Because that's a huge decision that you made. You know, I know there's yeah. a lot of guys. Um, there's a lot of guys who follow my brand. And I'm sure your brand who, you know, they have their own business, but they're still working a full-time job or they want to start something. Like what was it that caused you to take that leap?
0: Well, wow. That's a, that's a lifetime story but i'll I'll give you the short version so so i was was living with ocd um in my teenage years um depression and anxiety just generalized anxiety came into the fold as well and i I call them my darkest days in those teenage years i didn't know how to talk about what was going on my ocd was really bad to the point where it, it would take me two to three hours to get to bed because i'd be checking the house constantly because of fear of someone breaking into the house or fear of the house burning down so say for example the the iron or stove was left on as well and through that through that period I kind of come to a realization that you know you start thinking about what you're going to do as a career as you get older as well because you're coming into the end of high school and and I thought oh, I'd love to talk, to help people that are going through what I'm going through because you know, um, I don't know how to talk about it yet, or I don't even know this is mental health yet. And I didn't know that at the time, but I just felt like I could help in that space. But so I went to uni and did a started my bachelor of social science, and I did the first year of psychology. I'm like, okay, will psychologists help people with you know issues that that I'm dealing with? Mm. But then it got to the second year of psychology, and I and I dropped out because I couldn't. There's a, there's a maths component that's all statistics based, and I, I was terrible at maths at school. Um, so I dropped that and it gave maths in itself gave me a lot of anxiety because I, I just couldn't get it. Um so I dropped out of that, I ended up doing anthropology, so the study of culture. But after that, after uni finished, um, you know, I, I was jumping on the internet saying, what does social scientists do? Um and the only thing that was coming up was public service work, so working in the government. Um so i applied for that and off i went for the next 15 years i've worked in areas like um, professional like sports anti doping so you've got usada over there that does all the the blood and urine testing for leading up to the olympics and all that type of stuff so i was in the australian version of that the australian sports anti doping authority um, you know planning doping testing and and trying to catch cheats out and, and all that type of stuff um, I've worked in what was called the Australian Border Force here, um, so immigration. So we've, I've worked in the immigration detention centres. I've worked in fraud analysis and, and trying to catch people who are doing a dodge on migration programs here. Um, and for the last four years, I've been working in disability space. So that NDIS scheme that we talked about a bit earlier, mm-hmm. um, helping people get funding for disability supports. But it was never really like i had some pretty awesome times and i met some pretty awesome people but it was never really my passion um so around 2018 i decided you know i was feeling a bit stale as well mentally so i thought i'd go back and do some study and i came across social work and then as part of that i realized that i could become a mental health social worker and and it kind of me came back to that 16 17 year old in me who wanted to help people with mental health issues and now as a mature- as a mature age student, I guess I was a little bit more focused on study. Um, I knew what mental health was because I've been living through it for so long now, and I've been getting help when I needed it so I started that 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 course as a part time option so I was mm-hmm. working full time in my day job um, I would study in the evenings and on the weekends. We also had our our son around the same time, so he was he was one when I started studying, so I was giving up time with him to go study and, and figure out how to become a uni student again uh, and all this type of stuff so I did that over four years um, and it got to a point where I, social work teaches us to, to question a lot of things about uh, institutions that we work in and stuff like that so I'd be constantly starting to question you know why am I doing this work how can we do it better how can we serve people living with disability better Mm-hmm. um and it got to a point where no matter how many times i would try to instigate change or suggest change for better it because you work in a big institution you just get ignored you know at, at the lower levels um and I'd, I'd actually been feeling like that for probably 10 years of my career um in all the different agencies that i worked in and so um i finished my degree last year and i, and I wanted to move into private practice but i had this idea of of doing it slowly like you know, picking up one, one day a week of clients and then, and building up a full, you know, uh, annual salary, try to replace my annual salary because I've got a mortgage and kids are in school and all that type of stuff. But it got to a point where I I was kind of burning out again. So I'd burn out the first time in 2020. And then I was felt like I was burning out at the start of this year as well. I, 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 my brain was done working in the public service. My heart was in trying to get this business up and running Um. And it came about in a wee- a little bit of a weird way, more of a consumerist way. We put a um, a what's it called? We put some money down on a brand new Ute, a Toyota Hilux, and so sixty six thousand dollars car. I uh, never had a brand new, or well, I had had a brand new car, but nothing like that. Kind of like a pickup truck over there. And but it was going to be about a six month wait list. So we've got a huge wait list since COVID has happened about getting new cars into Australia. And so we had the money sitting in our bank and and I got a bit sick of waiting. So we decided to get a second-hand car instead. So same same car, just a bit older, um, half the price, so 30 mm. grand or whatever. So And then I said to my wife, well, why don't we use a 30 grand extra that we saved on not getting the brand new car and we got the second-hand car instead and why did not I just leave my work because I was miserable at work and mm. and it was showing up at home and I was going to psychology. I was actually on a return to work program mm. um, as well because I was just so mentally just done. Um, and she said, and surprisingly my wife said, yeah, let's do it. So it's I um, handed that resignation in and it's been like a huge weights lifted off my shoulders, sure. you know, um, starting up this business, getting the website up and running setting up networking things now, trying to get my marketing. I'm going to talk to some radio stations here to try and get the word out. And, and it, it, it was a great decision and it's something that I've been working towards for probably 15 or 16 years. I just didn't yeah. realize it. So
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, I think there's
1: many, many guys in your situation who are miserable at work, mm. who have skills and are holding them inside not expressing them not sharing them but could be yeah you know there's i know some really really skilled people who keep it all to themselves and you know it's like man if you would just share that with people you could be making a living doing what you love and spending so much time with your family so much time on yourself mm. and just living your dream life it can yeah. happen and that brings You said another super important thing, and that was, you know, your wife encouraged you to go. There's a huge um, niche of people. There's a huge space in the men's world of jilted dads, um, you know, dads who got divorced, whether rightly or wrongly. And then they, you know, a majority of them, at least in the U.S., lose all parental rights to their kids. Mm -hmm. Um rightly or wrongly, um, but then there's a very upset group of guys out there who that's happened to them. And they, you know, they don't have a good opinion of women in general, but if you can do the upfront work of finding a really good woman, then you can find someone that is like a partner with you
0: Yeah, and
1: 100%. help support your dreams. You know, you've got someone who's fueling your dream life and then together you'll create this dream life because she's supporting you she wants you to be the best you and when you're the best you you're going to be a better husband a better father
0: and so many guys do not have that yeah and i've been in i've i've been in those relationships where i didn't have it like you know all the relationships i had there's one that stands out particularly before my, my wife is is one where we're we're both from you know my hometown and but she was from the the well-to-do area and I was from the working class Northern suburbs area. And, and because my parents had split up when I was growing up, she thought that if she stayed with me, that that was going to be her life and I was going to be separated. And, and yeah, I had this dirty image of being from the working class and so forth. So I've had those relationships where people have tried to change me for, you know, from who I am and, and, and put me in their box but when i met my wife rachel you know she was the first person who ever just accepted me for who i was mm. she doesn't necessarily like that i sometimes i'm off the show with my depression anxiety and ocd but she's not the she's not the one to to just say all right get your stuff and get out she's like okay let's work through it you know figure out what what you need she was the one who pushed me towards you know treat you know getting therapy the first time and, and talking to my gp and i mean timing is everything though so like this option wasn't available to us 12 months ago because I was still studying or even four years ago before I started studying. It's, Mm. it's happened in, in, you know, we've been together now 14 years or so. Um, And it's, it's just, this happened to be the right timing. So sometimes it's just timing, but it's also, yeah, who you, who you partnered with and, and being open in your relationship and honest and, and expressing your feelings, not bottling it up as a guy.
1: Just some of your work in coaching and you know the help you give guys does some of it delve into this kind
0: of relationship problems. Oh yeah, 100%. So, you know, we work with guys who super smart, super smart, but have lost connection with their with their partner and 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 kids, maybe because of previous relationships, what happened in those and the trauma associated with those or had others you know in domestic violence situations and so just helping them navigate through that and and rediscovering the good in them um you know because over here that males are typically the perpetrators of domestic violence there's Mm -hmm. a lot of statistics out there for that so trying to navigate that in itself the shame and stigma associated with you know maybe they got violent or angry or whatever but then helping them come back to to the that good guy in themselves and and a lot of it's relationship based it's how they're looking at themselves in in their their relationship with themselves but also the people around them. Are they with the right person? You know some people in the counseling space or the social work space say you can't tell somebody that they're with the wrong person, but if you were my mate and you were the wrong person, I would tell you you know <laughs> so some guys are with counseling? the wrong person, yeah, that's right I mean it's, some it's guys, amazing. They're not some guys they don't have a good relationship with themselves, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. So it's about balancing that, finding those the things that make us spark our values and and, and all that, and and then working from there, trying to set a, set goals, set priorities, and and go from there.
1: Yeah, that's that's um. There's two different ways to look at that. There's you know if you've got a couple, there are you know relatives relatives or friends, and you can just see that man, they don't have a good relationship, and maybe the wife is coming off bad you know, say, oh, that, that, there's something wrong with the wife. But, you know, the guy has the obligation to stand up for himself, to hmm. he has the obligation to speak his mind, to know himself and be confident with his identity where he can say, hey, this is who I am. Um, right now, you're you're not treating me well. You're not letting me do what I want to do, what's best for me as a person. So for me, whenever I see... I that's I think it's really common you've got you know a guy a guy married to a wife and then a lot of times you know the wife will talk down on the husband um to in parties or friends or anything the, hu- the husband just kind of takes it you know that's to me I don't blame the wife I blame the husband I say you're letting her do that you know you you have grown this relationship to where that is normal and that's now part of who you guys are that's you guys mm. tr- you guys treat each other that way now And if you want to fix that, you should, but man, it's going to be a lot of work. You know, you're, you're deep into a road that is hard to fix, but unless you want to be miserable the rest of your life and be that guy, you know, who retires, goes to the golf course and never sees his wife, doesn't want to see her and is miserable
0: all the time. Like you better make some changes quick. Yeah. And I think some of it comes down to that gender identity and gender roles. And and what we're talking about is that who are we in 2022 as guys? Like some guys are still stuck in the, that traditional patriarchy. I'm the breadwinner. I'm the boss in the household in some households that works. You know, I'm not saying that that's the the worst thing in the world, but in other households, like my household, it's more of an equal thing. So what am I doing? What domestic chores am I doing? Am I cleaning the house? Am I picking kids up from school? Am I doing my fair share of the cooking? All that type of stuff. And where, our family works is well we have that balance to the point where yeah if i want to leave my job and no longer be the breadwinner because i was on more money than my wife that's okay because my wife would you know picks up an extra shift and i'll get this business up and running again you know she's there supporting me to do that so it's about looking at that relationship with ourselves our identity like why are we in the relationship in the start to start with um is it the best thing for us are we on the same page whatever that page looks like and then and then working together um to make things to make things better yeah have
1: you ever told a guy that it might be time for a change
0: oh yeah yeah really but, it, wow. but they but they were i think they didn't want to lose their kids they were in that mode so that so was what the, does, that what do you do
1: well, i mean what do you do cuz i mean i know guys like that who have kids they're married and everyone knows, like, they shouldn't be together.
0: Yeah, it's 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 hard because you you want to, to nurture the, I guess, the, the counseling, coaching relationship with the client. Also, you don't want them to just go out and do something drastic that they probably haven't thought through. But a lot of it comes down to self-realization. You know, you need to be the person as the client or as anything to realize, like I did back in 10 years ago, okay, now's the time I need help you know you need to come to that realization because when you come to the realization you own it 100% that's your realization and then someone like me is just help help you through that process and navigate that process um but but unfortunately a lot of people and guys particular struggle to make that decision that okay I've got to do this because whatever's working now it just isn't working um but so it's a self discovery process I believe yeah yeah
1: you know, to me that would be an impossible crisis especially if you're very close with your kids. Yeah. And, you know, for me, the thought of le- leaving or losing my kids is, is like life ending. It's like, then my I don't have a life anymore because they're such a big part of it. So I just can't imagine being in that situation. And then sometimes partners change. You know, there's, you can be married to someone, have kids, 10 years passes, and they're a completely different person. Yeah. You know, and i just can't imagine being in that situation and having to to decide well hey do i do i stick this out and be miserable for the rest of my life but keep my kids or or make a change that that to me that's an impossible decision to make
0: yeah i mean i guess there's there are families out there that where parents split up they get divorced but they're still an active part of the the relationship with the children as well so Yes, the child safety—or not child safety—the um, you know, the divorce, the family court system isn't great, and we have it here. It's not great here in Australia. It's often tailored towards the mums taking control and and mm-hmm. and so forth. And I've heard so many dads talk about the the challenges of going through that system, the family court system. Um, but it is possible, you know, there is hope. You know, if if that's a a path you've got to take, then it's a path. Sometimes you just got to take. Because sometimes the path that we take might be harder than, than sitting around keeping the same or or whatever. But in the, the long term, the results are much better for us and our families as well. So have you worked with guys who have lost their kids like that? Um, not not for a while. It's been a little while. Probably more guys who are in the process of, of losing their kids, not so much have lost their kids. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, I've got circles of, you know, people that I talk to where, where we talk about it more generally as uh, not so much from a counseling perspective, but just from a, a colleague or peer perspective. And, and it is, it's trauma, it's traumatizing, you know, and as a dad myself, my heart bleeds, you know, I, 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 like what you said, like the thought of losing my kids is, is terrifying. So I can't imagine what another, another person, another dad's going through trying to make those really tough decisions. Um, to, to make them move away. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know from the various dad groups I'm in and different accounts I follow, there's parental rights experts and lawyers and in, in the dad space. And it does seem like the the court system is pretty far stacked to the, um to the mom's side here in the U S but you said it's the same thing in the, in Australia.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Definitely. Do you have any in, from your past, do you have any insight into why that is? I know you said you mentioned domestic abuse Um, Is majority male? Um, Do you have any insight into that?
0: I would say that's probably one of the drivers. Is Mm -hmm. and and traditional when we look at traditional households, it's it's mums have been the stay-at-home mums, the ones that stayed home throughout the you know those early one to you know baby to five years old until the kids go to school. Um, You know, for example, our childcare system over here, while we get some subsidised childcare, (laughs) like for me to to pay for that you're almost uh, ne- negating your entire wage pretty much for the child to go into childcare and for you to go to work um, to the point where it's often better for one of the parents to stay home full time and look do the childcare in those first you know 0 to 5 years before they go to school um because it's just financially not not viable um and in a lot of a lot of the cases that's the mum does that the dad goes to work whether or not the dad's making more money usually um or it could be that the dad doesn't feel confident to stay at home and look after the kids i know i had a period of time where i didn't have the confidence to look after to look after my son when he was home i really struggled with the feeding for example and the sleeping whereas my wife it just became a bit more natural so i'd made the the decision to stop doing the stay at home dad stuff, and went back to work and and it was a bit different from my daughter, so i was I was more uh, comfortable with my daughter doing it, and she slept better as well, so all sorts of different things, but i think it's it's tailored towards mums for those re- you know those kinds of reasons that dads often go back to work really quickly um we have maternity leave over here which is 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 tailored towards mums, not so much for dads. Um, until we can get some more equalization in, in access to that, which we're, we're moving towards. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think there's some of the reasons, and there are only some of the reasons um, why it would be tailored towards towards mums over dads. You mentioned that it's substi- it's subsidized in some way. What do you mean? Yeah. So, for example, it might cost, say, $100 to, to send your kids to, to daycare for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, the government if you earn certain amount of money in your household like you're as a couple um, or even if you're a single parent the government depending on how much you earn the government then chips in some of that money so it might turn into you pay 60 and the government pays 40 dollars for example for a day but you know we're reflecting on our child care it costs up to between 10 to 15 thousand dollars a year for a child mm-hmm. to be in child care yep um, and but once they hit school you know that's that that's halved, if not, you know, three thousand I think for our kid for for Gus to go to school, mm. or if you go to a public school, it's even less. So Gus goes to a Catholic school, so it's a Catholic private school, um, so it's a little bit more expensive than a than a public school. But mm. yeah, these are the things that parents are grappling with, and they do impact your relationship with each other, and you know, the financial stress is a big one. And you know, we've got inflation growing at a rapid rate across the world. You know, we're not we're not um, immune to it here. House prices. We've got a housing crisis in Australia. Um, you know, we've got more people looking to try and rent, and there's the the cost to rent is just extortionate. Um, but then they can't get into the property market with a mortgage and and so forth. So, these are some of the things that are fueling, I guess, family you know, dysfunction as well. Yeah, we think we've had we have our own housing
1: issues here in the U.S. I think it's probably worldwide. It was it was great for a little bit, but now it's uh, it's making a turn. So yeah. it's good good time to be in a house, but not a good time to be looking for one. Definitely, yeah. Um, so to kind of wrap things up here, um, what do you see as if there's if you can give a guy an actionable thing to take from this podcast? Like you you mentioned, you had mindfulness tips. Yep. Um, if we could leave on that, um, like what if someone's listening and they they have anxiety, stress, racing thoughts, or just any issues that you're seeing day-to-day day with people you work with? Like, what are some concrete tips guys can go home and do?
0: Yeah, I mean, the best one is to open up, you know, is to go recognize that you you need help in some in some way or another. Um, and whether or not that's going, that's talking to your partner, talking to your friends, going to see a doctor saying, this is what's troubling me, and then work out a strategy from there, so in Australia, we get access to mental health care plans, for example, which is, again, subsidised from the government who can access psychologists with, for a little bit less funding or counsellors or social workers. Um, so if you can't do that, though, because talking is hard for a lot of blokes out there, um, become mindful of who you are as a person. So an easy way to do it is grab a piece of paper, put it into quadrants. You know, you could have family, work, parenting, mental health, physical health, whatever, all these quadrants, what are the major areas in your life are? And just write down how you feel about those areas, what's happening in those areas. Are you happy in those areas? Like if you're, you're miserable at work, what can you do to, to address that? Do you, can you find another employer? Do you need to study, to, like I did, to, to change your career path? If it's your relationship, are you going on date nights? Are you mindful of, of how you're interacting with your partner? um with your kids are you are you really in um, present with your kids or are you looking at your phone scrolling through instagram or facebook or whatever when your kids are playing in front of you um are you mindful about your physical health so are you walking are you running are you going to the gym are you doing jujitsu are you going swimming doing the things you like are you getting outside particularly getting some vitamin d same with your eating same with your drinking are you drinking too much in australia or, or across the world so this is what I call mindfulness. It's being mindful of who we are in those different areas. And then where you're perhaps lacking, it's it's finding support in those areas. So if it's your mental health, is it um, seeing a psychologist, a counsellor, a social worker, or if it's your physical health, going to a gym, you know, signing up for a gym or, or a coach, a life coach, if you're looking at different areas or you want to start a business, finding a business coach, finding people who, A, you understand you but also can fill your cup in in different areas whether it's knowledge well-being physical health and all that type of stuff so yeah they're the two main ones it's one talk if you can if you can't be be mindful of who you are and and plug the gaps where you can see them excellent what would you like people to know about you and where can they find you yeah. So the best place is my website. So that's got a, it talks about my counseling stuff for in Australia, but also my socials as well. So the podcast and my Instagram and all that. So it's www.mindful men.com.au. Um, and yeah, if you follow me on Instagram or listen to the podcast or whatever, you know, let me know how you like it or what you want to hear from and, and, um, and yeah, get, get into that type of stuff.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. This was, excellent i love talking to you we chris to do thanks it. We so to do much it again
0: i'd love to do it again i'd love to have you on the mindful men podcast when you get time mate and um yeah i love what you're doing keep doing it because it's important for for more of us men to open up and and be mindful of who we are and how we can grow so yeah, absolutely all right we'll talk soon bud cheers buddy